I was fortunate to have two children. When I tried to come back, I got questioned. Can you still work? The questions were constant. And by the time I was actually able to land a full-time job, I took a huge pay cut and it was difficult. And that was the first time I came to the appreciation, wow, there's a whole different side of the world. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Theodora, better known as Theo Lau, the founder of Unconventional Ventures. In addition, Theo is a public speaker, writer, and advisor who seeks to spark innovation in the public and private sectors for the benefits of the forgotten demographics and to create a more inclusive society. Unconventional Ventures focuses on developing and growing an ecosystem of financial institutions, corporations, startups, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and accelerators to better address the unmet needs of consumers with keen interests in women and underrepresented founders. Theo speaks regularly on the topics of AI, gender equity, fintech, inclusion, and longevity. She is a guest contributor for various top industry events, publications, and podcasts, including FinTech Futures, the BBC, Journal of Digital Banking, Harvard Business Review, Nikkei Asia, and MIT Tech Review. She is the co-author of Beyond Good, How Technology is Leading a Purpose-Driven Business Revolution, and the co-author of The Metaverse Economy. She is also the host of One Vision, a podcast on innovation and fintech. She also runs a weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Fintech Pros, on emerging technologies, inclusion, longevity, fintech innovation, and using technology for good. Her monthly column on fintech futures explores the intersection of fintech and humanity. Listen in for some great takeaways about the intersection of technology and human kindness as well as the impact Theo is making on this extremely fast-growing space. Well, today I have the pleasure of being with Theo Lau, the founder of Unconventional Ventures. I am so excited for today's conversation. Thank you for joining us today, Theo, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. look forward to it. Yes, I've been digging in deep, obviously, getting ready for our conversation today. But could you take a few moments and share with our listeners how and what brought you to this point to founding Unconventional Ventures? Just give us a little bit of background about you and your entrepreneurial journey. It's a fun one, actually. As we often tell people, the where you want to go from A to B is never a straight shot. For me, it wasn't. My background was chemical engineering. That's how I started. And then I spent, ooh, about 15 years in IT telco. So that's my background as telecom, breaking systems down, building new ones and tearing them apart and building new ones again. As luck would have it, I was fortunate to have two children. I took a little break 
from the corporate world, still did things on the side. When I tried to come back, I got told or asked or questioned. I think that's a better word for it. Can you still work? And to which my response was, I did not have a brain surgery. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I can still work and function as I was before. This was about 10 years ago and the questions were constant. And by the time I was actually able to land a full-time job, I took a huge pay cut and it was difficult. And that was when the first time I came to the appreciation, wow, there's a whole different side of the world that I was not familiar with. I was jaded because my work has always been in teams, typically full of and dominated by men. And that was when I started digging into what is preventing women from coming back to the workplace, what is going on with our society as a whole. And then I had the fortunate luck to work with the team in ARP for a few years. That gave me a whole newfound appreciation, if you will, on top of everything else I'd experienced. Wow, there is a whole lot more we need to do for the world. And the whole group of people, which I call the forgotten demographics, the caregivers, the older adults, people who are keeping the world running and people who have given so much for the world. And somehow we just start leaving them aside as we move towards the digital economy. So that was how the idea of unconventional ventures was founded. I toyed around with a couple of different ideas. Should we start a fund? We shouldn't start a fund. And I landed on what is my biggest asset is networks. I knew a lot of people. I still know a lot of people, a lot of amazing people who wanted to do something different, founders, VCs, corporates, and what have you. And so that's been my journey for the last six years now, almost. How can we bring different people together and create something that is different and better. Sounds like a very noble and very interesting and fun entrepreneurial journey. So maybe if you could just clarify or explain so our listeners understand, what does Unconventional Ventures do? And what is it all about? What is the goal and the mission, if you will? It started off looking at squarely older adults, the need of older adults. So we do a lot of consulting work with different companies who try to understand how do they adapt for the longevity economy, if you will. Older adults are going to comprise bigger and bigger percent of our world, for lack of better words. But the way that we are getting older is different. We've gained a collective about 30 years of healthy living lives compared to people in the early 1900s. Now the question would be, what do we do with that extra 30 years? And it has implications to how we look at education, lifelong learning. It has implications to how we look at work, right? How do we work? Do we stay in the same job for, I don't know, 50 years? Probably not. And it has implications on how we look at our relationship with money. How do we save at a young age so that we can extend it longer? How do we save at an older age so that we can make the nest last longer? So a lot of these have to do with policy work, but a lot more of it has to do with financial institutions and fintech startups. So how can we use technology to create better solution? And that's what I mostly do. I advise startups. I do a lot of speaking engagements. I write a lot. I've been lucky enough to have published two books on my own and also contributed to a few other ones. It's helping people understand how our world is changing and how we can use technology to do something different. 
Yeah, amazing. That's something that obviously is very intersected with what we do here at Midland Financial, right? Because one of those components of what you just discussed is that working longer, being financially prepared for living longer. And the important thing is also from a health standpoint, right? It's one thing to be living longer, but it's also a different thing to be living longer healthily right? You want to be in good shape. If you're going to get those extra years, you don't want to be in bad shape. And those are conversations that we have with the families we serve all the time. Now, one of the things that you just dovetailed into is financial well-being, right? Very important. Why do you feel financial well-being is a key to sparking innovation? Because I've heard you talk about this and how important it is. You actually touched on it literally 15 seconds ago, we talk about living longer, we talk about living healthier. It's a little hard to do that when we are living paycheck to paycheck. It's a little hard to do that when people struggle to make the ends meet, when you're working three jobs and try to pay your bills. It's easy for a lot of other people to say, hey, you just need to exercise more. It's a little hard if you don't have time. Or you need to eat healthier. Well, Again, that's a little hard when you get off your shift at midnight and the only thing open is a fast food joint right next to the bus stop, right? Those things are there for a reason, to serve a particular purpose and to serve a particular purpose of a specific demographic social society. And as much as we want to preach healthy living, right, I think fundamentally is really hard to do unless we are financially secure. So I feel very strongly that is the first place to start. And that is the first place that we can create the most impact when we come to well-being of people. It is interesting how my perspective, personal perspective has changed as well throughout these years because originally I was very squarely focused on how do we help older adults? And then as you go through the journey, you realize, wait a minute, a quarter of new caregivers are actually millennial and Gen Zs because they also have to be in a position to help their parents or grandparents with financial caregiving, helping them pay the bills, helping them figure out. For example, a girlfriend of mine the other day was telling me they need to look at installing a mobility device in the house and it costs $20,000. A lot of these needs pop up and it causes financial strength across generations unless we prepare for it. And this is where I think tech can play a huge role in helping multiple generations and multiple families to live a better life and plan better. That's great stuff. And I appreciate your thoughts on that. And I agree with a lot of what you said. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is, and you mentioned earlier, you had a recent book, Beyond Good. Maybe you could share with our listeners, why did you write this and what were you looking for readers to gain from it? What were you looking for their takeaways to be from it? I think everyone will come away from the book with slightly different takeaway. But the overarching theme is that purpose and profit can coexist. Now, Beyond Good was written during the pandemic. It was a few years ago and I was home schooling the kids because they were out of school for a year and a half. And then at that time, a publisher in Europe actually approached me and asked, hey, you know, we've been reading your articles. 
Do you think you can write something about financial inclusion? We'll love to publish it. Next thing you know, it extended from beyond financial inclusion to a broader theme of beyond good looking at business models of companies around the world, not just financial services, but also outside. For example, we featured Tony Ciccoloni as a chocolate company in Europe that is a B Corp showcasing how people around the world with great ideas are able to sustain a business, not just as a foundation or as philanthropy, but actual business and showing that you can have that and also make the world a better place. So that was the first book. And then recently, the uh, second book, Metaverse Economy, is coming on. And that one is continuing of the Beyond Good theme, but in a slightly different twist, looking at the future world. We like to talk a lot about digital money. We like to talk about how the world is changing and how we need to adapt. But we don't talk enough about community. We don't talk enough about the impact of technology on community. We don't talk enough about how do we bring more people on board so that we can all be part of this future evolving economy. And that's what these two books are for. I see the common theme here is inclusivity, right? Is getting people on the same page and people feeling more comfortable. So as they age and need care that they're being cared for. And I love it. I love it. So I have this debate all the time. It's been a challenge in my head in terms of I've heard this talked about for the 20 plus years I've been in this profession about financial literacy. There's this ongoing debate, right? People are like, oh, we got to put this in the schools, blah, blah, blah. I've 20 plus years. I don't think they've really improved at all in the schools. And and I think to a degree, it's up to us now and up to folks like you to kind of take this on our shoulders to help educate people. And obviously, it's going to take a much longer time because you don't have a systematic approach to it in terms of going through the school system. But at the same time, I think when I talk to parents, I feel like it's up to parents to teach their kids. And if they don't have the wherewithal to teach their kids, then they have to bring somebody into the mix, either an advisor or another family member or somebody that they trust to help them educate. How do you feel will make an impact in this financial literacy and raising the bar for everybody? Do you have any thoughts about that? That is an interesting question. I will be honest, I too struggle with it because I have two kids. (laughs) And my answer is actually fairly controversial in some people's mind. I use paper money. Now, people will be like, oh my goodness, Theo, like we're in the business of fintech. We're in the business of using technology. Why are you going back to paper money? And I'll tell you why. Because I actually personally witnessed how my kids react to spending money in a device versus spending money when they actually have to take cash out from wallet. And I've tried this numerous times in the last few years. So first, it was a couple of years ago, we were on a trip to Hong Kong, and both of my kids, we gave them an NFC watch. So they can go to the store, pick what they want, and pay with the watch. Boom, done. Quick, easy, convenient. That's what Mm -hmm. we always say, right? Make things frictionless. But here's the problem. When you make payments so frictionless, It didn't trigger anything in your brain. You just pick it up and go. They had absolutely no idea how much the items cost. And they didn't even think twice because for them, they did not feel the pain of pain. We came back to the US. I took them to the store. Again, we went shopping and they're like, oh, you know, we want to buy this. I said, here you go. 
I gave you cash before we left. You can take the item to the cashier and you can pay. Immediately, I saw them pause. And then my daughter at that time, she's like, well, maybe I don't need this. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I tried this again the last year on numerous occasions, both in the U.S. And as we went back to Hong Kong this time around, I gave them cash. I saw the exact same response was they did a mental calculation. How much does the item cost versus they look in the wallet how much money they have? And they actually make a decision based on that. That's something that is really hard to do when you put everything digitally. I have the same problem when I just go and pay with my Apple Pay. It's easy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it starts. It goes back to the basic. How can we create a little bit of friction? And I think that goes a long ways. I love what you were saying about education. And I was recently talking to a good friend of mine. He said, you know what? Financial literacy is not just kids who need it. Adults need it as well. Agreed. And it transcends income level. Oftentimes, our industry has this perception, I would call it bias, that if you're poor, you must not be financially educated. And I would challenge that because it's not. When you have to live within the means typically you actually know how to make better decisions than people who have unlimited resources. Mm-hmm. Think about you have to make $20 last for a week versus people who can just shell out at, I don't know, a drink or something. And nobody chooses to be poor. If we are putting people in that position, the first question I would ask is not judge and make assumption that they are horrible decision makers when it comes to money. It's more like, how can we do better to support them so they don't end up in the position? I agree. I mean, there's different levels of financial literacy, right? And at different levels, people need different things. And we've certainly encountered people who would be considered wealthy, who make very poor financial decisions. And sometimes maybe it's an inherited wealth. And then you see that evaporate over a number of years because just because they had the money doesn't mean that they had the education or the literacy to keep it. So it's very personal. I write about in my book, Financial Planning Made Personal. It's personal to that individual and that family. And there are different levels of financial literacy, of course. I agree with you. I think I'll also add to your point, It is personal, but I think industry as a whole, there are things that we can do better. Oh, 100%. Let's take buy now, pay later as an example. We like to say that this is a payment method that gives people opportunity and options to pay over time, give some flexibility, and perhaps lesser chance of overdrafting and having to pay fees. Absolutely correct. But with power comes responsibility, right? How are we enabling them so that they don't overspend? That's the other half of the coin that we're not doing enough. Agreed. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it, right? Absolutely. So why do you think fintech is an accelerator to making the world a better place? In your terms, right, you just said how you've kind of gone old school with your family, but you're in this fintech space. So obviously, there's some passion there that you think that it will make a world a better place. How do you foresee that happening? Or what do you think is going to be that impetus? It has been, actually, if being used in a thoughtful manner. So I'll give you an example outside of the U.S., huge example. A couple of years ago, in China, right? So there's a huge movement towards digital payments. There was a huge movement towards super app. The likes of Alibaba and the likes of WeChat, they both launched their own super apps. Now, back then, 
when we talked about that idea in the US, a lot of people dismissed it as, well, you're just paying with a care code. What is so special about it? But what people didn't understand is by enabling that as a technology, there are more small business owners who are able to get access to microloans that they couldn't before. Back then, we're talking about 20, I think it was 18, when I last visited China, they were showing me the lending model, the micro lending model, that was a 310. Three minutes to assess someone's credit, one second to dispense the fund, zero human interaction. We're talking about more than five years ago. And that enabled people to have access to credit to expand their business. That allows them opportunities that they didn't have before. And with that, that's been copied by quite a few big tech companies in Southeast Asia, in Latam, and in Africa. And that's where I see financial technology being a good accelerant to help people. And we saw in COVID, in Philippines, for example, the government dispense funds to help their citizens using the app. The money goes to the app. They use the app to, to go to the stores and pay and buy things. I saw it in Hong Kong as well. Well, what do we do in the U.S.? We send checks. Right. Yeah. Backwards, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we send checks to people who aren't even supposed to get checks or who aren't even living. That could be a whole nother podcast, but... Yes, there's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's been a lot of talk recently in the last year or so about AI, artificial intelligence, so much. Chat GPT, other engines, other methods, means of AI... As somebody who's on the forefront of this space, where do you see the biggest impacts being in the financial services arena? So it is interesting you brought that up because I remember this is at least the second or third cycle I've seen that. Quite a few years ago, a lot of the pitch decks I used to get was, we are AI this, we are AI that. The craziest example I got was a three-page deck from a startup that says we are an AI NLP company that helps improve your ROI. That was it. That was the entire deck. It was like a buzzword right. soup. Mm-hmm. I think we've come a long way from that. We have, and AI has been used in the industry for quite a while now. We use it in backend process automation. We use it in the lending cases that I was just mentioning with the super apps. I think what we are seeing lately is the technology is maturing. So we're looking at beyond the low-hanging fruit, what else can we use it for? Now, this is where the caution part comes in because ChatGBT and the likes of generative AI, it's hallucinating. It doesn't always give the right information. It's correct half the time or maybe even less. And some people think, oh, it's funny. It's silly. I remember using it quite a few months ago. It said something to the extent I'm like, wait, this is not even me. What are you talking about? But when it comes to deploying that technology in an industry that is highly regulated in the money movement that can actually impact well-being of people, that's when I would caution, innovate, yes. Be extra careful, absolutely. Because the negative impact of the decisions, right? Be it, oh, we decide that we're not going to make you alone because of X, Y, Z. I think that impact of it is much larger. Now, on the flip side of it, the benefits of it is immense. We use that in wealth management industry. But where I would love 
to see that being used is an extension of it, looking at finances across multiple generations in the family, expanding how we perceive a person's finance. So I use that a lot as an example. I'm turning 50 this year. Happy birthday. Congratulations. Thank you. My best 50 years is ahead of me. My parents are in the late 70s. They have decided to live abroad recently because I think for them, it makes more financial sense and rightfully so. My children will be in college in about eight to 10 years time, two of them. Now, if you think about just me, Theo, as a person versus me, Theo, with the larger ecosystem of money decisions I need to think about, I need to think about in 10 years, I should really start thinking about retiring. Maybe not. I'll get bored, but I'll be approaching 60. My parents will be in the late 80s. My kids will be in college. I have three competing demands for the same pool of resources. Mm -hmm. What role can technology play in there? I think it's huge. And I'm not the only one, right? We talk a lot about Gen Z being this squished sandwich generation precisely because of that. And if we're living longer, we need to use technology to help us make better decisions. Great points. I think it'll be very instrumental as time goes on. But like you said, I think you have to take it with pause and caution and move slowly, especially when it comes to those financial transactions and movement of money. So I want to talk about you for a minute. You've been recognized as one of LinkedIn's top voices for economy and finance. And you talked a little bit earlier about how you reached out to your social networks. How do you think social networks can impact people's careers? Obviously, it's had an impact on you. How do you think overall it can have an impact on people's careers? So a little bit of history on why I ended up on social network. I was not the first one. I was never the first one to adopt something. I started using and leveraging social network way more when I was in ARP because we needed to reach out to founders. We needed to reach out to VCs. We needed to create an ecosystem and we couldn't be in all places at the same time. So that was the power of social network is to be able to find kindred spirits people who have the similar passion as you do, and to create a virtual community and then from their own grow your actual network. And that's what I've been using all along. I don't use social network as a loudspeaker because mm-hmm. I think that's a huge turn up. I think where we could use the social network as a good tool for Korea as a tool to help further whatever causes that you have is to recognize that it is a two-way street. If you are putting something on social network, someone is going to see it and you are doing it because you want to share a perspective and you want to deliver value. And I think that part is really important. Don't use it and saying, hey, look at how brilliant I am. Okay. Look at it as how can I help? I think that's the one question we don't ask enough is how can I be helpful given where I am right now and pay forward? And that's how I think social network can help with people's career. I love that. I use the term a lot, network equals net worth. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, your network can really provide you with a lot of things. It can provide you with great relationships. It could provide you with maybe 
your next job opportunity. It could provide you with a consulting gig. It could provide you with the opportunity to do really good things and be charitable. There are so many great things that come out of that network. But I think to your point, making sure that you're always understanding that it's a two-way street, that it's not you looking to get. And if you give more than you get, then usually that network will really give back to you in big ways if you kind of take that same approach that you mentioned earlier. Isn't that similar to how we need to look at relationships? Oh, 100%. It's not transaction, right? It's not like, oh, I need something, so I need to ping you, and then I disappear. It's how we are supposed to treat people in general, right? It's a two-way street. 100%. 100%. So how do you see the future of financial technology evolving And on a go-forward basis, what trends do you believe will have the most significant impacts? I think tech in general is going to keep moving. There are tons of different trends that people are talking about. For example, the movement of money into the digital world, right? Currency from going from paper to digital, that's a huge trend. A lot of people are talking about AI. We're just talking about that and how that impacts how we live and how we work. I think those are all really, really interesting trends. And I think personally, I would love to see technology doing more for more people. What I'm afraid that we are marching towards is technology creating more silos and being more exclusionary than being inclusionary. So for example, there's a lot of talk about going to a cashless world. I do not believe that we will be in a cashless world. We will be using less cash. Absolutely. We all are. But there are still many pockets of people who don't have access to digital technology, pockets of people who cannot afford transacting online because the cost of data is too much, or people who simply are not comfortable using it. And I think as we move forward, as technology continue to evolve, we need to make sure that we don't leave people behind. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are people who won't be able to afford the device that will allow them to transact the money, perhaps. So there are a lot of hurdles there, but I agree. I agree. What advice would you have for our listeners who are either entrepreneurs or aspiring professionals? What advice would you give them? who might be looking to make an impact in the fintech space, what would you suggest they do if that's what they're looking to do with their lives? Ask yourself, what is your purpose? That's what I always tell people. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because that will be your North Star when things get tough or when there are plenty of opportunities where you need to make choices. What propels you to do what you want to do and what keeps you up at night and what excites you when you get up in the morning. I think that first and foremost is the most important because that will guide the rest of your actions. And then from there on, listen, listen more and talk less. It's amazing how much you can learn from people just by listening from everyday people. Seek out experts, of course, but talk to normal, regular day-to-day people. I often learn from Uber drivers, for example, you talk to them and you see this is how different people from different corners of the world live. And then think about how would you put yourself in that position and what would you do? 
I love it. I think that's great advice. Great advice. And thank you for sharing that. And I always like talking to my Uber drivers too. So we have that in common. So before I ask you our last question, we ask all of our guests, I wanted to ask you your podcast, One Vision. Can you maybe share, I, I want to give our listeners an idea. What is that about? And what's the goal of the podcast? So if they're interested, they can go check it out on their, wherever they consume their podcasts. What is the podcast about? And really, what do you talk about? Thank you for the question. The podcast has evolved quite a bit over the last few years. So first, it was a podcast that was run by Arun and Ify, and the first season was all on blockchain and digital money. And then Arun found me on LinkedIn. See, talk about social network. There you go. And he's like, what you've been saying about longevity is interesting. Would you like to come on the show? And we'll host a season together. We did. And we invited professors. We invited people, policymakers. We invited entrepreneurs to talk about how we see the future of longevity and fintech evolve. And then I just took over the show. So it's been going on for more than three years after that. The goal for the show, the reason why I changed the name to One Vision is because I believe, and I strongly believe that regardless of where we come from, regardless of what you believe in, I think we all want the same thing. Doesn't matter who you are. We can be on different digital world, different part of the digital world. We can be on different politics and what have you. In the end of the day, we want to have a good future, a better future for ourselves and for our kids. It's plain and simple as that. What I want to do with the show is to bring in different people from different corners of the world who are doing amazing things and to share their story. I feel like, especially in our industry, we glorify people who are very successful. We glorify certain demographics of people and we don't give enough of a space to the others. And I want to use the platform to give the mic back to people that are just simply amazing humans. Sounds good to me. Check it out. Make sure that if you want another show to listen to, check out One Vision, wherever you consume your podcasts and uh, information and check out Theo. And Theo, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we ask each of our guests the same last question because we are the Midland Money Mindset and we are all about joy. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? So I am a creature of habit. Aren't we all? <laughs> we all are. <laughs> I'm trying to break out some of the bad habits, mm-hmm. but I need my coffee in the morning. And my coffees always bring me joy. I love dark, bold coffee. Nothing else, just coffee. We have a lot in common. So do I. Yeah. I every, every, <laughs> every morning I get to the office, I do a red eye, a double espresso in a dark coffee. So uh, I, I get it. I exactly. Get it. So just simply getting up, having my three cups of coffee before I talk to you and seeing the kids. That's what I don't do three cups, but I wouldn't be able to talk to you if I had three cups. I'd be (laughs) shaking right now like a leaf. But thank you for sharing that. It's a great way to start the day. I appreciate that. We're going to have all of your information in the show notes. But if people want to learn more about you, Theo, connect with you, what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? Look me up on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. All right. Become part of your network, which will equal your net worth, right? (laughs) 
That is a great line. I'm going to have to borrow that. And you can. I probably borrowed it from somebody else. So don't worry about it. And I don't recall who that was. So some of the best things are borrowed. So I appreciate that. But it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Enjoy the day and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I want to thank Theo Lau for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Theo is truly looking to make the world a better place. The financial profession is an amazing one, and her tireless efforts to make it even better are being noticed every day. Theo is actively making an impact for both businesses and consumers, and she is using some of the most cutting-edge ways of educating those interested in her efforts. So please be sure to take a look or listen. Theo Lau and Unconventional Ventures can be found across most social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content, and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.